Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So welcome to everybody on the stream and the podcast today. We appreciate you. Uh, it's going to be an a, a awesome uh, service this morning. It already has been. Uh, we're going to conclude our, our series on what on earth am I here for, which has been, uh, I was telling my wife last night, the series is hard to preach because it's it's kind of talking about you, and there's not a lot of like base theology in it. It's about helping you just be a better person, and for for some of us, that's hard. It's like neat solid theology with three scriptures and you know two people in agreement and all that stuff. But uh, we're going to conclude it today, and we're going to talk about your career calling, but not your occupation, right? So if you wanted to watch the rest of these. Uh, they're on YouTube. They're on the podcast. The mid is now uh, part of the podcast if you want to um, do that. We're just a little late with getting them up. But this morning, uh, I want to pray. Um, we all know what's happening in Europe right now. First time in 72 years. There's been fighting on European soil since World War II. Um, I'm a part of an email of pastors in the area and pastors around the country, actually. And uh, we've been asked to pray Psalm 27 over uh, what's happening in Europe. And I don't know how much you know about this. Uh, not, I don't think anybody really knows a lot about it, but it's more than just somebody taking back land that they think theirs. This is deeper than that. This is spiritual. This is huge. It can change the whole shape of the planet and everything that's going on. Um, to quote the first Avengers, there's always men like that who think that they are owed something. But how many of you know our God is bigger? Our God can change things. If he can open a sea, he can change the way things are happening on this planet. Amen. So if you'll stand together with me, I'm going to pray. Uh, I believe they're going to put Psalm 27 on the screen. But uh, uh, churches are, are asked to unite and come together uh, against what's happening in Europe. There's countless people dying for no reason. And, and I said, like I said, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual fight. If you don't pray for this country especially... Because I'll just say this, and I have no political affiliation, I'm an independent. But if you do not start to begin to pray for what's going on in this country, if Russia and China get together, it's going to be worse than you can imagine, and it's going that way. If there is no time, not to, not to induce fear and bring all that, but the planet's going to change if we're not careful. And Christians don't begin to pray. There's no time like the present. Okay? So stick your hands out. Let's get ready to receive this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, 
We lift up your name, Father, and we draw on the authority given to us as Christians, as blood-bought rights, Lord. And God, we pray for what's happening in Europe today, Lord. Father, we pray for diplomacy to take effect, Lord, so people can stop dying. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that the killing stops. And Father, to come in agreement with other pastors and other churches, not just here in Utah, but around the world. Father, we're going to pray Psalm 27 in agreement with our brothers and sisters, not only in this country, but in the Ukraine and even in Russia, Lord, there's Christians interceding for this altercation. So Father, we pray this morning that the Lord is our light and our salvation. In whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? When the wicked came against us to eat up our flesh, our enemies and our foes, they stumbled and fell in the name of Jesus. And though an army may encamp against us, our hearts shall not fear. The war may rise against us. In this, we will be confident. One thing we have desired of the Lord that we will seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for in the time of trouble he shall hide us in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide us. He shall set us high upon the rock. And now our head shall be lifted above our enemies all around us. Therefore, we will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. We will sing, yes, we will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when we cry with our voice. Have mercy upon us and answer us. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, we will seek. Do not hide your face from us. Do not turn away your servant away in anger. You have been our help. Do not leave us nor forsake us, O God of our salvation. When our father and our mother forsake us, then the Lord will take care of us in Jesus' name. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us in a smooth path because of our enemies. Do not deliver us to the will of our adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against us, and such as breathe out violence, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody can come into agreement. Who said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. As I said, get on your face. There's no time like the present. This is a big deal. So we're going to end the series. Uh, we all have a calling. We all have uh, specific gifts and talents for such a time as this. Right now, all of you, if you've been with us through the series, you've seen that, that God's will for us in session one was uh, intimacy with him. Into me you see with God. That's, that's our goal 
right? That we want to have face-to-face interaction, a relationship with him. That's the biggest thing out of all three of these, of these uh, sessions that I believe that we've talked about, right? Week two, we talked about your ministry calling. You may not be in, in ministry called to be a pastor or called to be a minister, but you have a ministry calling no matter where you go. We had talked about the gifts and how they are instilled in people from the time you were born until the time, until right now, those gifts are sitting in you. It's up to us to discover those gifts and get them operating in our life because we are here to bless other people. That's our goal, right? Last week we discussed how we're empowered with the Holy Ghost, right? There's a a second, the Holy Ghost is in you when you're saved. Then there's a second, you can call it a baptism or an infilling that takes place that empowers you and brings those gifts alive in you. So you can just speak words. You're anointed to preach and teach and share the seed that is inside of you. It's juice to get it done. That's what my pastor used to say. You got juice to get it done. So this week, as I was beginning to pray and, and think about uh, you know, this uh, career calling, um, I was like, well, I'm not really a guidance counselor. I can't tell people what their career is or what they should do. That's, that's up to them to figure out. But we have a calling as Christians, right? There's a life calling that we all have as Christians, right? We have ministry gifts and we're empowered, but we have a life calling. We could even say, we all as believers have a purpose on this planet in such a time as this. So we have a a specific answer to the question, what on earth am I here for? Why am I here? You're not here to just make money and live in a big house, drive a nice car, be successful, whatever that looks like to you, because everybody seems to be confused about what success is. Is it money in a big house? Is it just surviving today? You know, is it your kids growing up without killing anybody or going to prison? That sounds like success to me, right? You know, here's the reason. Our purpose in life centers around Jesus around God the Father. And and until we get that intimacy with him, we're not going to find it, right? And let's look at Paul for a second. Romans 1.1, okay? Romans, right out, Paul's letter to the Rome, to the church in Rome, he'd never been there. But he says this, he says, Paul, writing, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, there's the intimacy, an apostle, There's his ministry calling, and separated to the gospel of God. There's the juice. He's sanctified. He's set apart. He is somebody who has a, uh, he's a bondservant with the, with the, the intimacy into me, you see. He has that. It's basically this whole series in a nutshell in one verse. He has the intimacy. He's a bondservant. That word bondservant can also be translated slave or servant, It's an employee, basically, who's paid wages, okay? Often, bond servants had considerable skill and and responsibilities. They were usually treated pretty well, and they were protected by law. Here's the thing about a bond servant. Once you became a bond servant to someone like Jesus, there was no working for anybody else. There was no resigning and moving on for more benefits or better pay. 
You were a part of that system forever. And Paul's saying, I'm a bondservant to Jesus. He says it multiple places in his letters, right? They could not resign. They, another thing, they chose. It was a choice to work there. It wasn't like, maybe, I don't know. And, and, and Paul's like, I am, a, I am sold out to Jesus. You read all of his letters. It's like, there isn't really a question about who he is or what he's, he's talking about, right? He was, he was saying in this, just one verse, and he goes on in this verse and talks more about it, uh, and two, three, and on, but he says, I have a calling as a Christian to serve Jesus. You want some intimacy in your life with Jesus? Start right there. I have a calling to serve Jesus. I have a ministry calling to be an apostle. And if we wanted to be really complicated about the definition of apostle, number one is you had to see Jesus on the earth, right? So I don't know if you're, you know, 2022 years old, but you probably haven't seen Jesus on the earth. So maybe Paul was the last of the apostles, who knows? He has a ministry calling to be an apostle, and he's empowered to do what God asks him to do. Uh, he has a purpose. His purpose is, ex is explained in Acts chapter 9 and, and verse 15. Look what he says. I don't think it was on your notes, but he says this in Acts 15. This is Jesus explaining Paul's purpose. Okay? He says, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. That's Paul's purpose. Spoken by Jesus himself. That's kind of a big deal, right? So Paul's purpose was he was sent to the Gentiles and to kings and to Israel with the word, with the seed that we had. And we just saw in Romans chapter 1, he had the relationship he was a bondservant. He was called to be an apostle, so he's a sent one, right? And he was sanctified, set apart, and empowered. And uh, this story in Acts 9, <laughs> chapter 9, kind of cracks me up a little bit because Ananias, right? Paul's on the road to Damascus, has the, in, uh, the interaction with Jesus on the road. He's blind. The Lord comes to Ananias and tells him, uh, by the way, Saul of Tarsus, the guy who's killing everybody, yeah, you got to go see him, and you're going to lay hands on him, and he's going to be healed, and then I'll speak to him. It'd be like, um, no, <laughs> I'm not going to see him, right? It, it, the story in, earlier in here, he's like, what? Lord, I haven't heard of so much about this man. He kills everybody he sees. I don't want to do this. So here he is, and he goes, and he lays hands on him. But here's Ananias was freaked out, and, and in verse 17 of this story, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit to do what God asks him to do. He's been separated, set apart for a purpose. I want you to get this today. You have a purpose. One more time. You have a purpose on this earth to do what God has empowered you to do. What does that look like? Well, I'm glad you're here today because, of course, I have three points. Two of the points are not your purpose, right? What brings joy to you and joy to others? Let's start there. Is that something that you can think about? What, what, are, you, what are you good at? Where are you, where's your gifts and talents? I've got a lot of emails and a lot of texts in the last three weeks going, how do I find out my gifts? How do I know what my gifts and talents are? 
I'm like, growth track. If you sit through growth track number three, you have a, um, you're given an assessment, let's call it that, that points right to your gifts and your talents. What, it, what it was your heart hungry for, okay? So we're going to know our purpose that we are to fulfill on the earth. It's something else, our purpose never changes, no matter what you're doing right now. Because we operate as people, when you get to my age, you can really see it, but that we operate in seasons, okay? Everybody operates in seasons, okay? So what brings life? Here we go, three points, two of which are were not your purpose. Number one, your purpose is not your position, okay? Your purpose is not your position. In, in 1 Samuel 16, we're going to look at David today because I relate to David. I don't know about you, but him and I are buddies, and it's just we can relate to each other. He doesn't relate to me, but I relate to him, and here's why. Because he goes through the same stuff as I did, okay? So look at verse 10, 1 Samuel 16, verse 10. He says, thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. At this time, Samuel is the prophet in Israel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Can you imagine Jesse, right, the proud dad, bringing all of his good-looking sons up because one of them's going to be king. That's pretty exciting. He's got seven sons. Six are in the room. Jesse, or, uh, Samuel bypasses all of them. And he says, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. It's always the youngest. And there is, he is keeping the sheep. That was job in the whole country. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, ruddy means red, he was probably sunburned from being in the sun with the sheep, with bright eyes, that means he was hungry, right? He was sharp and, 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 uh, and on it, and good looking. See, I told you I related to David. We're both good looking, so says my wife. Nobody else, of course, but just her. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. The most amazing thing about this story David's probably, most theologians believe he was probably 15 when this took place. 15, can you imagine? Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. It's amazing to me that a 15-year-old person Diego, who's not, the Garcias aren't here today, but Diego's 15. And he's being anointed king over Israel. 15. Do you know what 15-year-old boys think about? 15-year-old girls, that's what 15-year-old boys think about all the time. And here comes the, the prophet, the prophet. Samuel had some juice when he was there. It would be cool if a prophet showed up and just anointed you and said, and came to you and he, and he said, uh, you're going to be king and then dumped oil all over you. You're going to be rich. You're going to live in a castle. You're going to have every, all kinds of servants. It's going to be great. 
you're going to enjoy this at 15. Do you think David took over as king at 15? Of course not. There was a season that he had to go through to be king. He had to learn some things to be king, right? He had to go through some seasons. You don't just show up and be the boss of everyone. You got to learn how to manage before that. You got to learn how to uh, manage money, right? You got to learn how to be the king. What if Samuel said, after he had anointed him, if he was walking out the door and he was turned the other way and he said, oh yeah, by the way, everyone's going to try to kill you for the rest of your life. David would be like, excuse me, what? Samuel would turn around and go, yeah, you're going to be king. Yeah, yeah, I got that. You're going to be rich. Yeah, yeah, I got that. That last part. You're going to live in a castle? No, further past that. The part about the dying. Can you review that with me? I want to go over the dying part because I don't want to be the dying person here. Yes, everyone is going to kill you for the rest of your life. Oh, great. I'm excited about being king. Let me go back to thinking about the girls, right? This is, this is this, you know, it's, what about that last part? Everybody is going to try to kill you. It's interesting if you read the Bible. Joseph had a great dream, didn't he? Wasn't the dream great? Multicolored coat and everybody's going to bow down to you and you're going to be second in command in the most fierce, biggest country in the world, Egypt, and you're going to be the man, Right? Nothing in the dream said you're going to get sold out by your family, beat up by your brothers, pitched in a hole, sold into slavery, go to prison for a long time that nobody's going to remember who you are. None of that stuff comes, right? Nobody tells you that there's going to be a real suck part to life. It's like, I think a lot of people think that Jesus, I'm saved now, so I have extra juice and nothing bad's going to happen to me. Wrong. As a matter of fact, worse things probably happen when you're saved, right? We go through these seasons. We live in a fallen world. We know there is a war going on for your soul. The enemy does not want you to fulfill your purpose and bring more people to the kingdom. He does not like it, and he does not want it. Back to David for a minute. He had to do a lot of different jobs while he was training to be the king, right? We always see that, that verse that says, you know, do not put somebody in leadership, put a novice into leadership. 15-year-olds can't be king. If you go through Kings and, and Chronicles, we'll see young people being kings and they get whacked right away. The kingdom fails because they are not experienced. They haven't done their thing. David was a shepherd. Shepherd was the worst job. It was the youngest got that job, obviously, because no one else would do it. It was the worst job in the kingdom, right? He was a musician for a while. One more thing you should probably remember about this is that you have to be under authority before you are the authority. I just did. You have to be under authority. You have to be the youngest. You have to be the, do the worst job in the kingdom before you can be the king of the kingdom, right? He was in the military, so he was under rule. There was other people above him. 
had to be under authority before he could be the authority. Every season is important. There are seasons to fulfilling your purpose. You have to learn and have to grow. Maybe in this season, maybe in this season, you're all about just being a godly mom. Right? And if you, at my age, looking back, there was a season where, where we were parents of young children. Right? And, and it was a season to motherhood and fatherhood as parents. There's seasons, right? There's a season to raising small children. There's a season to raising teenagers. God help you. Right? Just keep deodorant in every car. It's the best thing. Because I don't know why nobody showers when they're in their teenage years. It's just crazy to me. Right? There's, there's a, a season to seeing uh, your children find their mate. And there's a season to marriage. Then there's a season to raising grandchildren and, and helping and watching and laughing hysterically. <laughs> and I think, realistically, that season is payback. Yeah, it's awesome. You didn't sleep tonight? Oh, that's too bad. Did you go to the emergency room and have a nebulizer stuck on your face all night? Yeah, that's what we did. At least you got to stay home, right? So there's a season to seeing your children grow up and marry. There's a season, season to grandchildren, right? There's a season to teenagers. But the purpose that you have in your life is not manipulated by those seasons. It never changes. Your season, your purpose stays the same your whole life. Your seasons that you go through, you're just learning how to function. And I'll say the hardest season for me, the hardest season for me is watching your kids come up and then leave and cleave, go away. And they're gone. And your house is quiet. At least till they come back, <laughs> sleep in the garage or whatever. But your purpose, sometimes the season you're in doesn't really even match your purpose. But here's the thing, you have to learn in that season the lesson before you get to go to the next one. And here's the problem, Joyce Meyer talks about it all the time, how we go around the mountain, and we go around the mountain, and we go around the mountain because we can't figure out how to function with a boss who hates us. And we can't figure out how to deal with a family member who is against us, or People are talking about us, and we can't figure out that Jesus is our Lord and our purpose is our purpose regardless of the season we're in. It just doesn't matter because your purpose is God-given. What people do and say is the enemy-driven, and it's hard to catch that, right? It's, it, your purpose is not your position. Let me say it this way. Your purpose is not, or your position, the position that you have now, the season you're in, is not your purpose, and it's not your identity. Identity is a big thing in Christianity, and if you don't understand it, you're going to be lost, okay? Basically, what you do in the season you're in is not who you are. I shared last couple weeks ago, when I first, my first ministry position was the, the facility guy at Foothill Family Church. 
And that position, when I, I was in uh, Bible college and thought I was somebody, a teacher of the word, and I spent most of my time cleaning up spilled coffee and scraping gum off the sidewalk. That was my job. But I had to learn in that season, build character and understanding so that when I got to this season, I'm not saying I do everything right, hallelujah, but I'm saying I had to build character in that season to get to this season, right? After that, the next church we were on staff at, I went from that position in youth ministry to children's pastor. Never pastored children before, didn't want to, didn't like it, but I'll tell you what, it taught me how to handle children in a, in a ministry setting. 50 kids from first to sixth grade in a room smaller than this one. That will test the sanity of your brain every multiple times a week. You would walk out of that place and... And because we were youth pastors too, we would hire the youth as our ministry helpers, and it was just made everything worse. But we had a good time, I think. Right? I remember um, learning how to prepare a message and deliver a message to a rowdy crowd of children that all needed to be medicated, every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could have gassed the place. Would have worked in <laughs> Passed out, would have worked easier. So I want to encourage you today. I had to learn that my identity was in Jesus. It wasn't the children's pastor. It wasn't the gum scraper. It wasn't the pressure washer parking lot guy. My identity was in Jesus. I had to serve Jesus in that job to the best of my ability to be able to get to the next job. And the next job sucked as bad as that one. But I had to learn the lesson in that job to get to that one. Because if I still, I shared the, the, I'm not gonna go over the story, but how I complained about how I had to do all this stuff at church. And my pastor said, that's your job, shut up and do it unto Jesus. Right, that was a hard lesson. But if I didn't learn that lesson, I would have never got to the next stop, and the next stop, and the next stop. I went from children's pastor to youth pastor, young adults pastor to associate pastor at Victory Christian Center, right? I had to ask God what he wanted me to learn, not why do I have to do, this is what we all do. Why am I having to do this, God? I don't want to do this. I want to do that. Why? Because there's a lesson you have to learn in there. And you're not going to get to the next season. Like Joyce says, just go around that mountain. You can go around that mountain until Jesus comes back. But until you get the lesson, you're stuck there. Our purpose is not our position. Number two, your purpose is not your provision. Right? You may think the paycheck, the cha-ching you get every week is your provision. Uh, sorry, but Jesus... God is your provision. I don't just mean financial position, uh, provision. The Lord provides everything. I love that song, Jaira, Jehovah Jaira, because it says, you are enough. God is enough in all things, all the time. He is our provision. He provides the right spouse, 
the right job in this season to learn something, right? The right house. Here's the thing about the Bible. You read the Bible. If you see patience and faith in the word, they're never too far apart. Isn't that amazing? We need both to function on this planet. Faith and patience always run together. And you'll never see them too far apart. Chapters, maybe. But they're always together because it takes faith and patience to wait on the Lord to move. Because we want to get out there quick and, and go do it before we're ready. Here's an interesting thought. If you manipulate to get it, you're going to have to manipulate to keep it. If the Lord hasn't put it in you, if the Lord hasn't given you the vision, you're going to have to fund the thing. I am so glad we waited to plant this church because if we would have did it, we would have had to fund it, we would have had to purpose it, we would have had to make it work. But when God gives you the plants, the seed, and gives you the vision, it's his problem, not yours. It's important that you understand that, right? God provides everything in the right time, even though he seems late. That's interesting. You may have a rough job and a rough boss right now, but until you learn to love that boss and receive him, like we talked about last week, you're going to be stuck there fighting that battle forever till we start to be more like Jesus. He's trying to teach you something, right? Look at David's life. David's got a problem in 2 Samuel 15. He's got an issue with one of his kids. He says, listen to the first verse. He says, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself. Let me just say, you're going to provide for yourself? God can't help you. We cannot provide for ourselves. We all know what happened at the end of the story, right? Uh, with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. The gate's where everything happened. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king, came to, who's the king? David's the king. David's got a problem. He's got a coup on his hand. He's got one of his kids trying to sneak in and take over on him. Amen? Really? <laughs> for anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe as Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there, may, there is no deputy of the king to hear you. He's manipulating these people, saying, king, he doesn't know nothing. He's busy anyway. Let me help you. Right? How many of you had this happen in your job? Somebody trying to get under you and take over? Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. Let me do it for you. The king's busy. Let me, let me handle this for you. So it was whenever anyone came near to bow down to him that he would put his hand out and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. They're going to see David, not him. And he's swooping in, kind of like, oh, let me fix this for you. You don't need to see the king. Let me fix this for you. And then he says, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men 
of Israel. He manipulated his way and he had a big old coup trying to overthrow the king. But look at David and how he kept his eyes focused on the Lord and kept his mind focused on the Lord because your, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions are going to tear you up when somebody's manipulating behind your back trying to screw you. Gonna, there is a thing that happens in your mind where you're like, I'm going to kill him. I am going to murder this person. I'm going to shoot him in the face with a bazooka. Right? This is where our mind goes. Right? And, and uh, men, right? First thing we want to do is I'm going to hook and duck and we're going we're gonna to go outside. Well, listen to how David handles this situation because there's a guy called Shimei in the next chapter. And he's cursing David. And actually, David's entourage is walking and Shimei's over here throwing rocks at him, cursing him, saying, you're, you're, you got blood on your hands. You're evil. Can you imagine telling this to David? What is wrong with these people? Do they know who he is and what he does? Yes, he has blood on his hands, but he saved all of Israel countless times, right? Sawed the head of the giant off, held it up, took a sword, all this stuff. Shimei is cursing David. And Abishai, who's one of David's mighty men, one of his entourage, says, who is this dead dog? Let me go over and chop his head off, which he could have done pretty easy. Just stomped him out. But instead, because David isn't focused on him, he's focused on Jesus, tells him, maybe the Lord sent him. Maybe he's doing this because God sent him. Let's see what happens. Leave him alone, David said. And he did. And he just kept on grilling him. David was focused on Jesus, was focused on God the Father, not on the manipulation and the action coming from across the sidewalk. The Ark of the Covenant's a good one. If you, you know, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is where God dwelt on the earth. What did, wasn't a representation, that's where he was. And in, uh, in 2 Samuel 15, again, David is focused on the Lord, not on what's happening. And he says, then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark back into the city. Right? We got, we got issues here. David's not real sure. People are chirping him up and, you know, grilling him. And he says, carry the ark back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, if God says it's okay, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. If God says it's okay, how many of us, when people are manipulating or talking about us behind our back or trying to get us out of a position so they can have it, can say, let me focus on the Lord here, right? And, and not just go over and go right in the nose because that's our mentality. That's my mentality. I can't talk about you people. But my mentality is say, what? What'd you say to me? And it's real hard to be Jesus with skin on when people are talking about you and manipulating and, and, and getting the bosses not to like you and all this junk that happens in corporate America, right? And then he goes on in verse 26, 26 and he says, but if he says thus, if God says this, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. He's saying, even if God says, 
I'm not fit to be king anymore. It's okay. I'm all right with it because I trust. Ooh, that's a hard word. Trust in who God is and his purpose in my life. Asaph wrote this psalm in Psalm 75, 6 and 7. He says, for exaltation, right? You want to be lifted up? Comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Do you trust him that much? Can you put your faith in God that much to say, I don't, it doesn't matter, Lord. Rise or fall, I trust the purpose that you put in me, that you have my back. Right? We prayed for the Ukraine-Russian thing going on. That would be a good verse to keep in your heart. That, Lord, no matter what happens with China, with Russia, with whatever, promotion and exaltation come from the Lord, not from earthly bosses. No matter what happens, Lord, we trust in you. No matter what this president does or this government does, I trust in you because of the purpose you put in me. There's one thing about your job, I will say this, that if you act like Jesus to people on your job, they can't help but promote you and move you up because you are acting godly, whether you produce it with your mouth or not right? Nobody can thwart your destiny but you. No boss, no co-worker, no company can stop God because he is my provider. I, I've shared the story before. We decided after prayer and fasting to plant this church. And we still lived in California. This was like 2012. And we decided we're moving forward. Michelle and I came together. We prayed. We were fasting after 20 days or 28 days and we decided to do it. We did the math, figured out the first thing we got to do is get a 501c3 in Utah, which we don't live. We don't have an address there. We don't have anything. Call up the Start Church, which is uh, the lawyers that we use. And they say, yeah, we can do that for you. We'll send you the packet. Don't need an address. Just need a PO box. No problem. It's going to be $5,000. I'm like, okay, first roadblock, bam. Big rope, five, you know, I, we didn't even have $5,000. We didn't, that was more money than we had ever seen. We hang up the phone with them. They email the packet. The phone rings. It's a good friend of ours. Did some work on their house, remodeled her house. She lives in Villa Park. Went to church with them. They went to, you know, known them for a long time. She calls up and she's like, what's going on? And Michelle tells her on speaker, she goes, yeah, we're, we decided to plant a church. You know, the Lord's moving us on from victory, and we just weren't sure what to do and how to do it. And we're going to go plant a church in Utah. And she's like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I want to help you. I'm going to send you, via wire, $5,000. God fulfilled that need within five minutes. My God is my provider. Number three, your purpose, this is what your purpose is, is your pursuit. We have to get after this thing. You can never take a day off from serving Jesus. David did, and it cost him a lot, 
We're talking about David, right? In Acts 13.36 in the English Standard Version, it says this about pursuing God. He said, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation. Think about that. What's, your, what's the purpose in your generation? Right? Fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. He fulfilled his purpose, but he did fail. David understood his purpose, and he pursued it and fulfilled it for him and his generation. If you stop pursuing God's purpose in your life, you'll start looking in other areas for purpose and approval from others, which is never a good thing, right? If we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, David says this, it's happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle. What's David? He's a king. He should be going out to battle. Kind of a big deal. What are you doing? Maybe he lost a little purpose. Maybe he lost a little, you know, heart for God in here. He said that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. But David remained in Jerusalem. What are you doing that for? Why, why are you staying behind when you're the king and you should be going to fight a battle? Look what happened in verse 2. Kind of not a good thing. He was on the rooftop, right? He was on the rooftop, walking around in a place he shouldn't have been. And he looks across and sees Bathsheba in a place he shouldn't have been. Not fulfilling his purpose, taking a side rail, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He sees Bathsheba, sends for her. They have a little fling-fling. I don't know why she was bathing on the roof anyway. It's probably her fault. I don't know. Sends for her, right? Uriah's her husband. He's a commander in his army. The whole thing starts this whole soap opera of deception and lies because he wasn't fulfilling his purpose on the earth. He took a day off. How many of us have taken a day off and gotten into trouble with God because we lost focus for a minute? Right? How many accidents have been created because of these things right here? Yeah. What's this do when you're driving? Oh, you just return this text to Joel and you crash because you've lost focus. You lose focus with God for 30 seconds, you're going to crash. Cost David his life, cost the life of the child, sackcloth and ashes, Psalm 51, the whole shebang. It was a big old ordeal. It was tough. When we moved here from California, I went from, from being second command at a church to basically an unemployed nobody. And I lost my focus. I lost purpose. I lost a lot of stuff. And if we had to, if for some reason we ever go plant a church someplace else, we're not going to do it this way. Because when we moved here, we, were, we didn't, do church for a year. And we were just, I was meeting with pastors and I was doing that, but I wasn't serving God. I wasn't, I had taken some time off because we were, we were serving on two different ministry staffs and we were traveling and ministering every stinking night. It was like, I need a day off. Well, I took some time off 
I lost purpose, I lost focus, I lost a hunger for God, I lost the, the urge to study, I lost everything. I became a part-time employee and just really just collapsed in on myself. Dealt with a lot of stuff because I decided I needed some time off. And it cost me. Cost me a lot. And by the time we got around to doing team meetings six months after we had been here, I was lost. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to teach or preach or build a team or anything. I had lost it all because I took some time off. I had, we, had, we had a checklist of goals that we, we met all the goals. We did everything. We, we, you know, we were supposed to raise 30 grand, and we did that. And we moved here. We sold all our stuff. We got a place to live. We got a job. We checked all the boxes. But the Lord said to me, about three months after we got here, he's like, this isn't about goals. This is about purpose. I sent you here with a purpose. Get back to the purpose. My purpose, our purpose, Michelle and I both, our purpose is to teach people to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. To take people from where they are to where they want to be with God. Does that sound like a bridge? Huh? See what I did there? That's pretty good, right? right? That's where the name of this church came from. Because we are committed to teaching people how to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Take them from where they are to where they want to be. And, and just produce, reproduce Jesus in the earth. In God's people. And it was hard, and it took a lot, and luckily it came back. Don't confuse goals with purpose, right? Big difference. So I want to ask you today, what is your purpose? And most of us, me included several years ago, would be, I don't know. But you can find your purpose. It's not a hard thing to find. God has put it in you. You just need to uncover it by intimacy with him, worshiping him, doing growth track, figuring out your goals or figuring out your gifts, figuring out who you are in Jesus, getting your identity. Because people get confused when they lose their identity. It's like, who am I? Who, who am I supposed to be, Lord? Well, if you, if you read the Bible and kind of got a God promises book, you can, you can find out you're the head, not the tail. You're above and not below. You're a king. You're a queen. You're God's daughter. You're king's, you know, part of the kingdom. You have authority in that kingdom that comes with juice, right? With the Holy Ghost. You have these things that are in you. You just need to turn them loose. Come on, somebody. You got to get involved in this thing. You know, I can, I, I can't, I don't have the authority in your life to write it out for you. You have to write it out. I like what Habakkuk says in, in chapter 2 and verse 1. We've heard this before. I will stand my watch. Right? That's a good way to start. Number one, I'm going to watch. Right? And I'm going to set myself on the rampart or on the wall and watch to see what he will say to me. We, we, beginning of the year, we fasted 28 days. That would have been a great place to show up with a journal and go, waiting, Lord. I'm going to watch 
to see what you'll say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected because he's going to help you. It's like, ah, you, you shouldn't have said that to them and you shouldn't have fixed this. And, you know, your job's not your identity. It's just something that you're going through right now, right? The Lord, the Lord answered to me and said, write the vision. Good, number two, write what the Lord tells you. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. We're not going to sit on our hands. We're going to run with this thing. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Your purpose is for an appointed time, but you're going to learn in these seasons what that is. You're going to have victory in this thing, and you're going to go, I get it now. At the end, it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Number three, or four, whatever. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. This thing is for you. Let's all stand together. When you figure out your purpose and your life calling, your, your, your mind's going to just blow up inside your head. You're going to go, what has just happened? I see it clearly, right? God will have the question to the answer. What on earth am I here for? We just need to chase it and look for it and find it. Can you get into agreement with that, right? So what are you going to do? We're going to get with God. We're going to figure it out. We're going to listen. We're going to write it down, and then we're going to chase after it. And understand, this may not be your season, but you will learn something in this season that will get you to the next, right? Maybe your marriage is hard right now. Maybe your job is hard right now. Maybe finances are hard right now. But the lesson to be learned in that thing is victory. And your purpose isn't going to change because you're struggling. It's going to be okay. God is still on the throne. Before the war started in Europe, his promises are still his promises. Your purpose is still your purpose. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.